Hello and welcome to Credo on Radio Maria, a program that nourishes you in your Catholic faith. I will be your facilitator today, Tim Hutchinson, and I have the pleasure of welcoming Mary Mills on today's episode. We haven't had you on Radio Maria before, Mary, but it's it's a wonderful privilege to be able to welcome you. So welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. And you are the third um, guest from Maryvale for the current series. We've done uh, scriptural studies, we've done catechesis, and today we're doing scripture with you. Thank you. Um, and do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and your involvement with Maryvale before we start? Um, well, I could, I've been uh, associated with Maryvale Institute since about 2009 when I was working at Liverpool Hope University and uh, Maryvale um, inquired about validation of their research degree program. And I went on liaising with that program and eventually when I moved out of Liverpool Hope I became research director for a bit, managing the students in their thesis programs. And then um, a few years ago, I retired, but I still teach scripture to um, some of the, the students, as well as supervise a few research students myself in, in scriptural-related topics. Wonderful. And for those who may have not heard the previous episodes and are wondering what Maryvale is, Maryvale provides distance learning courses. Um, you can do degree level courses. You can also do uh, smaller courses to maybe train yourself as a catechist or if you just want to further your knowledge of scripture or um, church history, liturgy. There are all kinds of things that you can do through them. I myself have done some studies through Maryville and and find the level incredibly um, high and and uh, very faithful to the church's teaching. So it's a, it's a great um, privilege to be able to to collaborate with Mary Vale on on Radio Maria, and um, I'm looking forward to today it, the topic being scripture because it's it's something that one cannot exhaust and it's always wonderful to be able to to do that. Um, so I'm going to hand over to you, Mary. Thank you very much. So today I'm going to look at some general principles of reading and interpreting scripture. Um, I'm going to do this through looking at one particular episode in the Gospel of John in chapter 4, which is when Jesus meets the woman at the well in Samaria. So before plunging into that passage, I would just like to remind us, if you know this already, that there are broadly three ways we can start exploring a scriptural passage. One is described as behind the text. This is the historical and cultural setting in which the writer produced the material. Um, we may not always know who the intended original audience were, but we can see signs of some of the cultural and historical frameworks within the text. The second is described as in the text. So this is the way in which the writer of the text develops his story, as it were, what characters he introduces, what topics he uses, and how the text builds it up. So it's a form of looking at the narrative style of scripture. I would add that, of course, to do it absolutely perfectly, one would go back to the original language. But even without that, one can pursue a very close and careful reading of an English, in this case, edition, or any vernacular edition, to see what we can discover. And then the third lens is described as in front of the text. And this is us as readers. So there are as many possible in ways of looking at the text as there are readers. There's no one perfect way. And different groups of readers explore the text with different concerns in mind. Sometimes these might be contemporary cultural concerns of their time, Sometimes they might be theological or spiritual concerns. So those are the three lenses and are going to start with the historical, cultural background. So in this passage, 
which is only part of chapter four of the gospel, we have first of all had a scene setting passage which transfers Jesus, the main character, from one part of Palestine, Israel, to another. So moving him north to Samaria and settling him in this small town called Sika um, by a well. The story then takes over in verse 7 because we're told a woman came to the well and then there developed a dialogue between the woman and Jesus. Already in the scene setting section, it's important to note that this well is described as Jacob's well, Jacob being one of the great three great patriarchs, founders of ancient Israel, of the Hebrews and of the Biblical Old Testament Hebrew Bible tradition. So it's important to note that we are going to be looking into how people later on in this time period looked at the role of Jacob as the great ancestor who had provided this source of water. And of course, water is very, very important. In a hot and dusty climate, you need places where you can get water and you can water your animals. The theme of water changes during the course of the scene into a more spiritual kind of water to do with what goes on inside a person, inside their heart and soul. But we start with actual water. And then there's the woman. What's this woman doing on her own at the well? Because it's not suitable in that culture for single women to approach the well on their own. People usually waited till it cooled down in the evening and then they came out together, the women together with their buckets and basins and things and the farmers with their animals and they all met together at the well. So it's odd that this woman is not with other people from her town. What is she? Is she an unacceptable woman? Is she a strong woman? It's a question mark, which we'll come back to later. So then there's a little bit of ironic discussion because Jesus says, give me a drink. And that starts the conversation. So she more or less says, why are you a Jew asking me a Samaritan for water? And this is cultural background because Jewish people, people from Judea and people from Samaria, although they have similar traditions, religious traditions, were enemies of each other at this particular time. They didn't really get on. And each thought its own version of this religious tradition was better than the other. So she says, look, you're not one of my cultural background, why are you even concerned to talk to me? Most Jewish people would pass me by. This opens into a conversation of the deeper meaning of water, which where Jesus talks about, well, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water. This discussion leads on to the question of religion and politics. So in the course of the scene, the woman refers to the temple in Samaria and contrasts it with the temple in Jerusalem. So there are two temples in this story, two physical temples. Both temples relate to the same ancestral religious tradition, but each has its own version of that tradition. We do still have copies of the Samaritan Pentateuch or first five books of the Old Testament to look at. So very similar but somewhat different. And each thought its version was best. And so she gets into this debate. You know, we've got this temple, you've got this other temple. What about it? Isn't our temple better than yours or is yours better than ours? And Jesus then moves the whole discussion on from physical buildings to a more spiritual level. He talks about, well, neither neither this mountain or the mountain, Mount Zion, on which Jerusalem temple is built, neither is the place for the future. And the story then focuses on Jesus as somehow in himself a sacred space. And that's how we begin to get into the concept of living water. So if we didn't know these things, 
about the bulk historical and cultural background, we wouldn't have such a clear understanding of how, in a way, hard-edged the story is. It's really challenging, first of all, challenging gender differences, perhaps, challenging cultural variations, the political hostility between the province of Samaria and the province of Judea within a wider empire. And also then it starts to move us away from these things to focus on what is central to the whole Gospel of John, which is the person of Jesus himself. And so we can see that the writer has clef cleverly put a piece of what we would call theological teaching or Christological teaching into a relevant historical cultural context that the original intended audience would have known about and would have said, oh yes, that's right, you know, we don't get on with them. And um, what's this woman doing anyway? And there is a peculiar bit of the story of the passage where Jesus seems to go off track and talks about the woman having multiple husbands. And nobody really knows, no modern interpreter knows for certain what that piece of cultural background is referring to. Is it referring to the woman's personal behavior? Is that why she's on her own? Or is it something more cultural and political about the kind of religious approach that you would find in the temple in Samaria as opposed to the temple in Judea? All sorts of possibilities have been put forward by commentators, but we can't easily interpret that particular bit of cultural background. So there we are, we have the historical and cultural elements. And in order to, if I wasn't telling you about it, in order to explore it, we would need perhaps to have some kind of simple commentary on the gospel, which, where the commentator, the modern commentator, would have noted these points for us so that we can try to put on the hat, if you like, of a much older culture that is no longer our cultural tradition. And so we try to get ourselves thinking as far as possible into the ways an ancient audience would have related to this text. Because the, the revelation about Jesus that goes on in the story makes sense within that framework. So that's the first part. Indeed, a very interesting and um, a scripture that it's it's interesting how these sort of things happen actually appeared earlier on Radio Maria today with somebody who had written a song based yeah. on the scripture. So I'm going to play that song as our first piece of music now. And then when we have finished listening to this piece of music, we're going to hear about um, the other part of, of uh, how we read the scripture. So this is called... Living Water, and it's by Kay Jonas.
That was Living Water, a song written by Kay Jonas. You're listening to Credo on Radio Maria, a program that nourishes you in your Catholic faith. Mary Mills has been speaking to us about the, um, the different ways in which we read Scripture. And if I was following, so I'm going to try and see what sort of a student I, I've been. Um, you said there were three different ways. There's the, the what's behind the Scripture, there's what's in the Scripture, and then there's what's in front of the Scripture. Um, the last one being ourselves and how we read it. And we looked at the first two, am I right? We looked at the first one, the really. The first one, okay. So I, I, yeah. I jumped ahead in my mind, I must have. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm, gonna, I'm going to try and pay uh, closer attention this time and, uh, <laughs> and, and follow you. This is one of my favorite passages, so I, I'm really enjoying it, even if I'm not um, maybe the best student. But let, let's continue. <laughs> Okay, so now we come to inside the text, <clears throat> and this particular text is a story, a narrative. So there are traditionally um, ways in which literature explores narrative. So one of them is to do with the plot, what is the, the line, the storyline, where does the story climax? One is characters about which I'll say a bit more in a minute. And the other is settings. Well, we've really dealt with settings in some ways because we have looked at the fact that this is set in Samaria, in the village of Sika at a well. We're also, have, we have also been encouraged to reflect on the cultural differences between a Samaritan person and a Judean person. So we have got our setting, and part of that, as I said before, is the well itself and the significance of well and the spiritual significance of water, water that is living water, which in um, some parts of the Old Testament would be understood as running water. But Jesus, in this story, moves us to another dimension. So we've done the setting. What about the characters? Now, there are two main characters in our story. That's a very standard style of approaching um, how, how a writer approaches a story, set the scene, put two characters on the stage, and then let them engage with each other. So these aren't flat characters. These are rounded characters. And people have noted how much the woman in this story is presented as a full-blooded character. So we can imagine her sort of looking Jesus up and down and saying, oh, yes, um, you know, how are you going to give me a drink? You haven't even got a bucket. And then how he challenges her. And the thing is, she moves with him. She moves through this question about husbands to religion and the question of temples and who owns the tradition. And then she moves with him some more. So this is a character who is a rounded character, who is quite a strong character and is um, able to demonstrate how we, the readers, can also focus on getting to know Jesus some more. Jesus himself is a rounded character. Jesus, of course, is the main character of the entire Gospel of John. In, in this scene, as in some of the other scenes, as a rounded character, Jesus is letting people know more about himself. So Jesus, it is clear, knows about himself. He knows what his mission is. He knows what he's about and what he should be doing. And he gradually reveals his inner significance to those who are willing to engage with him. So you've got two rounded characters, both coming initially not knowing each other in this setting, and gradually engaging in discussion and dialogue and getting to know each other. How does that affect the plot? Well, a typical form of plot in a story is a quest. That is, 
the characters engage towards a common goal. Here we have to presume that that quest as presented in this passage is Jesus's quest to find faithful people who will believe in him and who will then join his little community. Um, in the, the second half of the story, which we won't be looking at in, in such detail today, um, the woman goes off and tells everybody else in her village and they all come flocking out. And Jesus remarks to his own disciples, look, this is what my mission is all about. It's about getting people to believe and to find faith and hope through, through me, Jesus. And the, the term, of course, that Jesus uses as the story progresses is Messiah, the Messiah. And then the climax of this passage is when Jesus says to the woman, I am he, I am the Messiah. Because the phrase I am, which is um, a way of describing the God of Israel in the Old Testament, the, the living God, the God who is always there, is attached in many different ways to the person of Jesus in the fourth gospel. So some of them are very well known to us. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd and so on. Here, it's about water. I am the water of life. Anyone who believes in me will have this living water inside them. So the, the structure of the, of the passage is gradual revelation to the reader and to the woman. And it is gradual and each little incident builds on the next and on the next. And until the woman can actually start saying, well, you know, we've got a tradition about this Messiah, the Savior, who's going to come and save us. And Jesus is able to say, look, that's me. I am the Messiah. I am he. And that's the end of that particular quest because the woman obviously believes because she rushes off then to tell all her co-villagers, townspeople, about this wonderful person she's met at the well. So the quest in one sense then is a quest for giving faith to other people who one might meet as Jesus might meets all these different people. This is the plot of the story. It, is, it comes out in these gradual stages of growing you might say intellectual and faith intimacy between this foreign woman and this Jewish person, Judahite, Judean, who has come into her life, come into her space. So the in the text is about looking at the ways in which this message is delivered in detail. So we have the dialogue being moved on and on to a more serious level and a deeper level on this gradual opening up of the woman's understanding. It sits alongside the historical cultural frame that we looked at earlier because it's in the frame of someone who has a broad belief in the same tradition but belongs to a different strand of it. And this is about her conversion, if you like, to this particular understanding of her tradition not seeing the Judean as a stranger or a foreigner, but as a fulfillment for her tradition, which is a parallel tradition to that of the southern part of this land of Palestine stroke Israel. Very interesting indeed. And um, I wonder, is it not a good time for us to maybe listen to our next piece of music? Indeed. So this is As Water to the Thirsty. And um, when we come back, uh, we'll continue hearing about these three ways of reading the scriptures. And um, I'm very much looking forward to hearing the, the um, third way. Uh, again, this is As Water to the Thirsty. You're listening to Credo on Radio Maria.
That was As Water to the Thirsty by Dudley Smith. You're listening to Credo on Radio Maria, a program that nourishes you in your Catholic faith. The third part of a series given by Maryvale Institute. And um, we've been looking at the senses of Scripture. And um, we're going to continue looking at the third sense of Scripture with our um, guest today, who is Mary. And, um, and we've been looking at the passage of um, John 4. So I'm going to allow you to continue, Mary. Thank you. So last part, folks, comes to in front of the text. And this is about us as readers. So we're not looking for the one original style of reader. We're thinking about readers in general. And readers in general have different interests when they come to look at a story, including a religious story. So what sort of reader, readerly lenses might be applied to this story? I look at two in particular. The first one is um, that interest in the figure of a woman. So there are those who sometimes think women don't feature all that much in a biblical stories or aren't particularly strong figures, particularly in the New Testament. But in fact, it's noted by scholars that the fourth gospel, John's gospel, has a lot to show about women and the role of women. So here is a woman who is not afraid to stick out from her community, who's not afraid to question a person she thinks might be interesting, but a bit odd, perhaps, a bit different, and who can grow intellectually and spiritually to the point of becoming a disciple just out of her own personal relationship with Jesus. So scholars who note this about the woman in the fourth gospel also notice about other women. So we have Jesus's mother in the wedding at Cana scene. And okay, there are some interesting ways of looking at that, but nonetheless, she there also demonstrates complete trust and faith in Jesus, her son. She tells the servants at the wedding, just do what he says. There are other women like Mary and Martha of Bethany, the sisters of Lazarus, who get much more attention in John's gospel than women in the other three gospels. So when we get to um, the so-called raising of Lazarus, this, the bit just before that, Mary and Martha both want to get hold of Jesus because they say, if Jesus had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And there's a lot of dialogue between them, uh, particularly Martha and Jesus about this. And we're told in that scene that Jesus was very upset, that he saw how upset they were and he wanted to meet their need. Now, obviously, in raising Lazarus, Jesus also demonstrates something about himself, about who he really is. But it's the women characters who are his narrative partners, as it were, in that story about the household at Bethany. So the one way of exploring the possibilities of chapter 4 is to look at the other stories involving key women in the fourth gospel and pulling together all the various witnesses to the, the role of these women to understand that there is a place in the Jesus community of the fourth gospel for women to be active disciples. And for some women, that's very empowering and helps them to feel that they are the, 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 the womanhood is respected in the biblical traditions. So that's one way, perhaps more contemporary readers might be looking at things. But there is also, of course, the theological and spiritual way of looking at this, this material. And here we have the key symbol, the living water, 
water in the well, water that runs from a spring and so isn't stale or muddy or dirty. It's perfectly good for humans and animals to drink and it sustains them and keeps them going. To Jesus, as it were, like a well who can give spiritual water that cleanses and heals a person from the inside. So that is attached to the woman's declaration at the end of the climax of the scene where she acknowledges that he is the Messiah, where Jesus is revealed fully to her and she accepts. So this is a gradual spiritual revelation leading to faith. And in the Catholic tradition, in the readings leading up to Easter, we, we use these stories from the fourth gospel. Not all of them are about women. There's a man born blind, for instance. And all these stories have the same sort of structure. A person is outside of the Jesus community. They encounter Jesus, who seems to understand them and offer them sympathy and support. And that gradually leads on to um, a growing understanding of the deeper significance of Jesus and then to the act of faith, to agreeing that Jesus is the Messiah. In The Woman at the Well, she is on her own at the well. In The Man Born Blind, we see in the story critics, critics of the man who say he shouldn't be looking, you know, he, he must be something that he can't change. He was born blind, that's it, must be because of sin somehow, or guilt or something, perhaps his parents. And critics who then tell him he can't possibly um, be putting his trust in this wandering um, prophet, teacher, healer figure, because how could such a person give sight and with the physical sight, the story moves on to spiritual sight, to perceiving the inner reality of Jesus and putting trust in that person and trust in that message. We see it with the woman, the end of that main part of this story. We see it with a man born blind in progressive stages. And so these sorts of chapters are very useful for those exploring the nature of faith and wanting to grow in faith, just perhaps to put themselves into the story and watch it closely unfolding, like you might a bit of film or something, and listen to what the characters are saying, and so be encouraged and supported to make their own profession of faith. Especially, of course, we all make or renew our profession of faith in the Easter services. Uh, thank you so much. I'm finding this incredibly interesting and, and um, very helpful indeed. And um, I'd like to move on to maybe asking you a few questions, um, mm -hmm. if, you, if you'd be up for that. And yeah. I'm going to play a song by Sam Cooke called Jesus Gave Me Water. You're listening to Credo on Radio Maria. Jesus gave me water, Jesus gave me water, Jesus gave me water, I want to let his praises swell. Jesus gave me water, Jesus gave me water, Jesus gave me water, and it was not where there was a woman from Samaria came to the well to get some water. There she met a stranger who did a story tell That a woman dropped a pitcher She drank and was made richer From the water he gave her And it was not in the well Yes, gave her water Jesus gave her water Jesus gave her water I wanna let his praise swell Jesus gave her water He gave that woman water Gave a living and love and lasting water And it was not in the Well, on that woman he had pity 
she ran back to the city, crying glory, hallelujah, and did his wonders tell. She left my Savior singing, she came back to him bringing the time she had a water, Lord, and it was not in the well. Yes, gave her water, Jesus gave her water, Jesus gave her water, I want to let his praise swell. Jesus gave that woman water, gave her that loving, lasting water, water, and it was not in the well. Shouting, there was no room for doubting that she had met a savior who did her wonders tell. Every time she doubted him, she started to think about him, the man that gave her that water, Lord, and it was not in the well. Yes, gave her water, Jesus gave her water, Jesus gave her water. I wanna let his praise swell. Tell you he gave that woman water, gave her that loving, lasting water, 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 loving water, and it was not in the well. That was Sam Cooke singing, Jesus Gave Me Water. You're listening to Credo on Radio Maria. We've been talking about how to read scripture and looking particularly at a really wonderful verse, um, the passage from John chapter 4, The Woman at the Well, with Mary Mills from, from Maryvale. Lots of Marys in the story. Mary, I want to ask you, this third way of reading scripture, The um, so there's the behind, there's the in, and there's the um, in front. I think I'm mm-hmm. using the correct words. Yes, yes. Um, so this is where Lectio Divina would fall in, right? In the, in the last yes. way. Yes, yes. And Lectio Divina would be one way of being a reader of the text, yes. Okay, I, that's that was what my question was. So this is one way of, of doing... Letzio Divina doesn't really, I suppose, I suppose the third way draws on the other ones, but it, it really um, has a life of its own. I think so, because what is Lexio Divina is one person, a living person, starting from their base and reading the text carefully and slowly and thinking about it. And so it's what emerges as meaning for them on that day at that time. And we're all, even though we're a same person, as it were, um, with an identity, if we read same, the same passage of Scripture on different days, different occasions, different words or ideas may jump out at us um, as giving us spiritual support or encouragement. Mm-hmm. So it does, it's a way of respecting the text, but bringing oneself and one's own mindset mm-hmm. to bear. Do you have a a particular favorite way of doing the third kind of reading of scripture? As a lecturer, I'm used to all kinds of different avenues into mm-hmm. the into that. Um, as um, somebody who might be looking at the text specifically from a religious or spiritual purpose, um, I kind of have a version of the Jesuit approach, which is the visualization Mm. being part of the scene. Now, I wouldn't necessarily work through trying to visualize every character, but I just think they are so vivid, these stories, that one can be an observer within them and just watch and listen as the characters play out their roles in the stories. And that, for some people, is a form of contemplation. It's a way of getting into um, getting into touch. The story becomes life for that person, and not just some ancient story that's written on a page and that must be spiritual because it's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But it becomes the living reality for them. So, so that's something that I personally um, have had experience of doing. Mm. Do you have a favorite translation of the Bible? Depends on the purpose. So for study purposes, um, I would use the common edition of the RSV. Mm-hmm. I know it's an old edition, but it's very respectful of the original language of the text. However, it does use long words and it can be 
a bit ambiguous because sometimes the text is ambiguous mm -hmm. um, from it, you know, in its original version. But I would use that with a study group. Mm -hmm. um, the NRSV or the New Jerusalem Bible, they're much more um, texts that you can kind of relate to by reading them aloud and hearing them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're more easy for modern people to understand because some of the complex ideas have been worked out in the text mm. and given specific meaning. Um, I tend to avoid the good news and those sorts of Bibles because they were written for people for whom English was not their main language and they do very much simplify. And although that's kind of good as a first contact sometimes for people who don't really know their Bible, it, it can all seem rather simple and easy, whereas the text has got more to be found than that when one digs into it. But I think part of it is the occasion. Um, mm -hmm. That is, if you're reading in the middle of a service, you don't want a long and complex text because people won't be able to follow it or concentrate on it. Mm -hmm. But if you've got a small Bible study group who want to know more about the scripture, then I think because they can have printed copies in front of them, then one can use um, a slightly more complex translation. Yes. And in terms of finding good commentaries and good texts that explain the, the biblical text, do you have any recommendations? Um, well, in, in the Catholic uh, sector, if you'd like to put it that way, mm -hmm. um, there is, of course, um, the, the uh, commentaries produced by Raymond Brown some time ago. He's died, of course. They've been brought up to date by scholars um, who, who developed his notes that he left. He was going to produce new editions and then he died. So they've worked up his notes, like Francis Maloney worked up his notes. And so the latest editions of the, those, that, that series for the false gospel is uh, good for Catholic, because it puts the Catholic perspective in. If you want something fairly quick and easy within a broader commentary, I, I mean, but you'd probably want to borrow this from a, a library or get it online. But there is now a new version, the Jerome Biblical Commentary for the 21st Century, which also has a, um, it, it gives a simple but important commentary on all the books of the Christian Bible, as well as other articles on texts and versions and different readerships and lenses. So that came out from Bloomsbury Press just a couple of years ago. You can access it online and maybe um, if you're close to um, a good library, they might uh, buy it because it is quite a thick volume. That's great. Um, sorry, we just have a caller. Just one moment. I'm just going to get her on the line. Radio Maria, hello. Hi, Helena. Um, you ha we have just a minute. Do, do you have a quick question? Yes. yes, quick question. So for folks that are partially sighted or sight loss, uh, that might be familiar with it, but if you were to do a Lectio Divina or a Bible study, do you have a suggestion of how to break the story down for the women the Bible, the woman and the whale? Well, uh, is there like section part one, part two, three? Do you, or do you just go through the whole thing and just do it a couple of times? Sorry. Thank you. I so I take it this you're talking about working with a group here, some of whom might be partially sighted or yes, I'm not sure. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Um one way one way is obviously to read aloud because provided they um they can uh, hear and understand well, then you can read little sections and get them to think about those smaller sections and i would break it up yes i would break it up and build it up um i haven't had much experience of doing that i think you probably could get a braille edition um but equally i have encountered <clears throat> work exploratory work on people who um are deaf where they have developed sign signing of the gospel stories so I would say, since your people will probably have 
good hearing, you could use the, the, the live voice and break the story up and then get them to reflect because mm. probably they will be used to holding on to ideas from hearing them um, if they can't see. That's that's very true, and I think it's uh, it's interesting how um, we should remember that for a long time, most of the people who who received the scriptures couldn't read themselves, and so it had to be spoken in that way. Um, that's about all we have time for today, but I must say it's been really wonderful having you on Radio Maria to speak about scripture um, and to continue the series with Mary Vale. So thank you so much, Mary, and... Um, and we wish you all the best for the lecturing that you do in Scripture. And may you continue to inspire people to read the sacred scriptures. And, um, and thank you for being on Radio Maria. Thank you for having me today. It's lovely to meet you all. God, thank you. God bless. God bless. Bye.